Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. In this episode, Michele Garufi, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of NECOX, discusses challenges that have been overcome and which remain in successfully developing the company. He also explains how his years on the national Italian swimming team played a role in the story. Let's listen as Michele tells the tale. Hello, OIS podcast audience. This is uh, Rob Rothman here uh, with another episode of the OIS podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I am a glaucoma specialist practicing clinically in New York. Spend about half of my my time seeing patients. Uh, the other half of my time I spend uh, running InFocus Capital Partners, which is an ophthalmic-focused venture capital fund. We are nearing the end of our investment life cycle with 13 early stage assets in ophthalmology. We do have one or two later things, but we don't invest in, in the public space at all. And for those of you who have listened to some of my other podcasts, you know that I have elected to uh, interview interesting people in ophthalmology to try and dive in a little bit towards the background of those people who've been responsible for making companies uh, what they are today. And with that as a backdrop, it's my pleasure to introduce Michele Garufi, who is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of NICOX. NICOX has a long history of involvement in ophthalmology, and we're going to get into most of that with Michele in a few minutes. And it's my pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Michele. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Rob, for your invitation, and good morning to you and everybody. So, so I think I'd like to start this, this one off by having you tell everybody a little bit about your personal background. So there are some very interesting things about you that I think some people inside of ophthalmology know, but others, others don't. And sort of go into a little bit about, you know, sort of where you grew up and your education and, and sort of give us the, you know, overview as to um, how you entered the world of, of pharma and specifically what led up to the formation of NICOX? I think that's an interesting um, uh, way to sort of segue into the company. So fire away and let us know. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, actually, uh, my life has been, uh, well, unique being Italian in this world uh, of R&D public company. And I graduated from University of Milano in medicinal chemistry. And, uh, and then I got my degree of pharmacist as well. And I started working in the pharma industry since day one after my graduation and degree in a pharmacy and up to Recordati, which is a very well-known company in, in Italy and in Europe, a public company as well with a presence in the US. And then I had the, the virus of the, of the independency to create my own company, but actually in uh, 1995, uh, at the time, there were no venture capital in the healthcare sector in, uh, in Italy. So at the time, I had uh, to, to go abroad. And uh, I had the chance to meet, uh, while in Recordati, Elizabeth Robinson. She was the director of product development uh, of, of Recordati. And uh, together, I just became friends. I was mentioning this idea together with a friend of mine, pharmacologist, too. To have a startup around the anodonating technology, nitrogen donating technology, and she helped me to find out the right way because 
Actually, before joining Recordat in Italy, she was one of the first uh, employees of Genzyme. She had a PhD from MIT. And so she knew the world, of course, of the venture capital. She introduced me to, to it. And, uh, but unfortunately, we could not uh, found the company in the United States for personal reasons. So we looked for uh, local money. But as I said, in Italy, there were no venture capital at the time in the healthcare sector. So we, uh, we found money with French venture capitalists, among them uh, the famous Apax and Sofinova. And we created Nicox in 1996, uh, the three co-founders being in Italy, two Italian and one American, but with a French company. That's the reason why Nicox is French, is headquartered in, uh, in south of France, in the Sofia Antipolis, what they call uh, the would-be San Diego France. And, uh, but we always kept the research center in the Milano area. And that's the reason why all the new molecules have been, uh, let's say, uh, screened in the Milano labs uh, of Nicox. But today, since uh, many years, we are more and more American, I would say, with the U.S. Development Center in uh, North Carolina in, uh, in the RTP area. So, so let's go back for a minute. So, um, you, you worked in pharma directly out of college. Where did the interest in nitric oxide donation sort of come from? Is that based on your education or is there something specific that you came across during your work where you decided that this was an important area that needed to be developed and had really not been developed at that time? Good question, Robert. When I was more working in business development, uh, licensing, and marketing, uh, but uh, during my time in Ital Pharma, I was exposed uh, to nitric oxide uh, in uh, in the cardiovascular field. And uh, together with the pharmacology, the Italian pharmacology at the time was my colleague, uh, uh, we had the idea to apply the nitric oxide uh, uh, in a different way, uh, rather than the conventional uh, cardiovascular application that are well known since many, many years as a vasodilator. And so we thought of this uh, nitric oxide donation that we implemented with a specific, uh, let's say, chemical uh, modification of existing molecule, trying to apply the nitric oxide uh, properties uh, uh, in different uh, therapeutic areas, among which uh, ophthalmology. And actually, when we started Nicox, we were not really an ophthalmic company. We started with an application in the uh, in the inflammation field and uh, inflammation cardiovascular. Only in two thousand five six, uh, through a collaboration with uh, Pfizer at the time, uh, we started to to apply our our ideas to ophthalmology and namely to prostaglandin for glaucoma and uh, and then uh, we generated the first idea, which was transformed then in Vizulta, that, as you know, is the first drug uh, based on our uh, research platform, which has been approved by, by FDA a few years ago. Um, fascinating. So you basically had an idea and built a company around it, and that's ultimately where, where Absolutely. came from. Okay. I want to get back to this in a minute, but tell me about the swimming, because I, <laughs> I, you told me some factoids about swimming. <laughs> that that I think are are incredibly important to the um, attitude that you have towards mm -hmm. Nicox, and I think it comes from your your background as a swimmer. I don't think a lot of people know this about you, but tell me about tell, tell everybody mm -hmm. about the swimming because it's really really interesting. Well, <laughs> Rob, uh, my friends know because actually I I'm taking uh, 
my my swimming experience when I was young. Uh, uh, every time I had uh, to 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 have uh, a lot of resilience, like everybody in our sector. And uh, yes, it's true. When I was younger, for for several years, I was in the national Italian swimming team. I went to the world championship, and uh, I had great experience, but with great sacrifice and uh, a lot of resilience. Because you know, swimming is a tough sport. You need to to, to train a lot, and uh, many times you 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 have just to train uh, with with one goal that it's uh, could be the the major event, major championship which is a little similar to what we do in research, where you work for years, years, and maybe when you get near to the, to the wall, uh, you, you lose because uh, the, the drug doesn't work. And that's what happened to NICOC. So I keep saying that uh, my resilience, uh, I think it's coming from, from my sportive background. So I'm very, I'm very happy. I'm still following uh, the, the, the Italian team and I'm part of the, of the of the world of swimming still but uh, that's taught me a lot and i think it's for everybody in general sport this kind of sport is very is very uh, formative yeah it's fascinating i come across a lot of people who are um you know successful uh who have been competitive athletes and there's clearly a connection between you know the competitive drive and the ability to you know propagate you know your 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 business uh, in some way so um, I know you swam with Mark Spitz, weren't you? At the time, yes, yes, yes. The famous, uh, yeah, in the early 70s. Yeah. So I know a lot uh, of the U.S. swimmer. Some of them, I met them as well afterwards in U.S. So it's nice to be in touch with, uh, with your uh, world uh, when you're young. Well, it's not, I think it's, I think it's nice for the audience to know that, you know, Italy isn't just famous for, you know, fast cars and delicious wine and fantastic food. We also have pharmaceutical entrepreneurs and, you know, world-class swimming there too. So, um, changing the whole perception of Italy, Michele, thank you for, 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 for doing that. But, um, um, anyway, okay. So let's go back. So, um, so here you are, you've, you've, um, entered the world of pharma. You've decided that, um, nitric oxide donation is the area that you want to focus on. You um, formed a partnership with uh, another smart person. You go out and you build NICOX and what happens? Well, what happens happened to me, uh, uh, what is happening, I guess, to 99% of the CEO co-founder of the R&D and biotech company, up and down, up and down, especially uh, after the listing on the French uh, stock exchange market in 99, uh, we went through, of course, uh, the, the beginning of the, of the new millennium. You remember very well what happened. And uh, as I said at the beginning, the company was focused uh, on a very interesting approach of our donating technology. But for several reasons that I'm not going to, to explain, not related to ophthalmology, we had a setback as a as a last uh, last meter with FDA, and at this point it was around 2010, 11. At this point, uh, the, the the board where I had a very very good board member, I still have very good board member. Uh, most of them are Americans, actually. At the time, we had uh, Frank Baldino, was a friend of friend of mine, was the CEO of Stefan, who passed away unfortunately ten years ago, and then Von Kalian was a, the CEO of uh, Core Therapeutics. And they suggested me to give up on this project 
was too difficult to get approval and to focus in ophthalmology. Ophthalmology, as I said, we started in 2005, six uh, at the beginning with these uh, ideas to, to develop new anodonating prostaglandin. And since then, uh, really the company was refocused just in ophthalmology. So we uh, we started to think what we had in our in our uh, labs in our pocket. Uh, we went out and we acquired a few years later a smaller research company, a spin-off of Aura in Massachusetts, uh, Essex, and we acquired two patents. Uh, one we approved, and the other one is in phase two for blepharitis. And uh, since then, uh, then we, we had uh, in 2017, in December, the approval by our partner, Bouchon Lombe of Izulta. But at the same time, we decided, uh, because we became uh, more expert in ophthalmology, we had a great team and we have a great team, as I said, in, uh, in, uh, in RTP in North Carolina, to develop our own uh, drug for glaucoma that we believe is uh, superior to any other single uh, uh, agent uh, in, uh, on, on the market in glaucoma, which is still a code NCX470. And we are in the last phase because it's in advanced phase three and we have a lot of hopes on this track. So, so hold on, let me go back again just for the audience. So NICOX has two significant out licensings um, for, um, for use in ophthalmology. The first is Visalta, right. Right, yes. which is a, um, an agreement with Bausch and Loam. And the second is Zerviate, right? Correct, correct. But that's that's true, and uh, why we license out uh, and we didn't keep for us this drug? Very simple. Well, uh, Vaidzulta was licensed to Bosch in 2010 when we were still focused on the other therapeutic areas, as I said, in inflammation uh, and cardiovascular. And at the time, we didn't have in mind to become uh, an ophthalmology, so we couldn't develop both a project in, uh, in another area, in an ophthalmology at the same time. So we, we decided to, to, to license out uh, to Bosch and Lomb. And Bosch and Lomb developed it up to, to approval in December 17. Uh, Derviate, on the contrary, when we acquired this patent in 2014 from Essex, we did the last uh, uh, part of development and the approval process. We got the approval, but it was not enough, uh, only Zerviate, to transform Nicox into a commercial company with a direct presence in US. It's not a product, as you can imagine, anti-allergic. You need uh, uh, other products in your bag. It's not a niche product. You need uh, a strong feel for it. So we decided to license out. And actually, we licensed out to Ivan's, which has been acquired uh, by to my friend Jerry St. Peter, who was acquired by Santan. And I think it's a, it's a great deal. But now, with 470 and 4251 in blepharitis, we think with these two drugs, they are... Uh, uh, sufficient, sufficient, more than sufficient to transform NICOX in the future in US in a different company with a complete, uh, fully fledged uh, organization and launch our own drugs. So, so let's go back just again for briefly. So, tell me about the products that NICOX currently has in development that are in the clinical or preclinical stage. And then we're going to talk a little bit just as a segue in, in case you get into it directly about how or what challenges you're facing as a European company that is building its own U.S. presence now. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that, I think that by discussing the, 
the product pipeline that you have in development, which some people are not aware of, um, and, and how you intend to then transform Nikox from a European company with an out-licensing portfolio to a company with a U.S. presence launching its own products. Correct, Rob. It's, it's a challenge. It will be another race for me. But uh, yeah, uh, well, 470, as I said, is uh, the second compound of our anodonating uh, prostaglandin family. And as I said, uh, uh, we are, uh, uh, we hope and we are convinced that this drug could be even better than Bayzult and all the other single compounds, uh, single uh, agents uh, treating IOP uh, lowering pressure. Uh, why? Because, uh, well, we had very strong signal from the phase two where we reached a statistical significant superiority uh, versus uh, latanoprost. So, and after 28 days of treatment, but we realized that we were not at the top of the efficacy dose, while we were more or less at the plateau of the side effects, which were mild hyperemia in a range of about 20%. So very, very average, I would say, the side effects. So we decided to start the phase three with an innovative adaptive design where we tested not only the highest dose of the phase two, which was already statistically superior to latanoprost, but with an even higher dose, uh, 0.1% of our drug. Uh, because as I said, we realized that 0065, we were not at the top of the dose. And there was an independent advisory board that after a certain period of time on a certain uh, quite uh, important group of patient, number of patients, they look into the data, of course, uh, agreed with FDA, uh, with a little alpha penalty, and they decided based on the guidelines uh, we, we gave them that 0.1% was definitely the dose to go for, for the rest of the phase three, because probably they saw, uh, they perceived the signal, a strong signal of a better efficacy without any increase of side effects. So we are even more confident now that at the end of the phase three, we'll be able to show even a much broader, wider superiority over latanoprost of 470. And in this case, you know, uh, we know that if we reach, uh, if we hit the statistical superiority, we'll be the only single agent uh, uh, having developed in phase three a prostaglandin versus another prostaglandin uh, in a head-to-head -head, uh, comparison. So it will be very important. So. We're very anxious. We had a little bit of delay with COVID, but now I think the phase three should be completed in the second quarter of next year. So we are working hard to, we're much more than 50% of enrollment. So we are very confident. Right. And that is the first compound. And the second is 4251, one of the two products together with Zerviate that we acquired in 2014 from ASICS. Uh, we developed this uh, uh, formulation uh, with an applicator where you use uh, the suspension of nanocrystal of fluticasone to treat the eyelid, uh, to treat uh, blepharitis, all kind of blepharitis. And I know there are some competitors going for specific uh, kind of blepharitis. Our drug is supposed being a, a steroid to treat all the kinds of blepharitis and especially the, the, the sinus symptom of blepharitis. And uh, by minimizing uh, the, the, the exposure of the eye to fluticasone, because uh, so far there are eye drops and ointment which are used for blepharitis, but 
well, you know, you put you put the drug in the eye. The blepharitis is an eyelid disease, so you don't need to, to 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 put the drug in the eye. So we had a very nice uh, faced way uh, trial with very good results on uh, the three main sinus symptoms of blepharitis. Uh, which uh, FDA recognizes as uh, the basis for approval, which are redness, ocular discomfort, and debris. Uh, we got very good results. So we started in December a phase 2B on a 200 patient study. Exactly the same endpoints. And uh, the primary endpoint is a percentage of patient which will go down to zero in each of the three sinus symptoms versus a percentage of patients uh, which will go down to zero uh, with placebo. And uh, let's hope to meet the primary endpoint. But, you know, anyway, it's a phase two. We want to see an indication of how father developed this drug. But this two drug could be a good basis for, for, for NICOT, for the transformation that you were asking me. Right. So, so, and just just to for the audience, for those people who don't know, uh, the reason why the comparison of your um, uh, clinical stage glaucoma compound um, uh, as a comparative study versus latanoprost is that most, uh, almost every study in the U.S. has been compared to Timolol, which for some reason is still the um, FDA standard, Correct. whereas most ophthalmologists and optometrists. Um, in the United States, use prostaglandin analogs as first-line therapy. Um, most of the clinical trials still make a comparison to Timolol. Um, a comparison to latanoprost um, would obviously be significant. That hasn't been uh, done, to my knowledge, in in the phase three study at this point. So that, is, that, is, a, that is a big deal. So so um, so you have these two products planned, and they are both later stage clinical assets um, in trials as we speak. How is NICOX going to execute now? What is the plan for you? It's not, it's great. Uh, we've seen this before in ophthalmology where you have a great um, product um, and, you know, transforming that into a viable um, commercial entity um, with its own sales force and its own um, marketing plans is, is more complicated. And I, I, I know that you have that plan. So tell us how that's been for you in terms of development and struggles, challenges, and successes that you've had so far? Absolutely. The first challenge, uh, um, I think that NICOX will have to become a more and more U.S.-centered. We are already a lot of U.S.-centered in terms of, uh, you know, shareholders as well, and especially the development center. They said all our clinical CMC manufacturing team, and 90% of it is in uh, in U.S. in North Carolina. But as well, this will imply that we need uh, at the appropriate time probably could be after the results of our main clinical trial to be listed on NASDAQ and uh, clearly to, to be financed and uh, hopefully at the right valuation that NASDAQ will recognize to NICOC once the re clinical results will be out to finance the company for the last step and for the transformation. I am a hard believer of the rollout strategy. So I know there are other products and other companies out uh, and clearly, I think that the, the management of the company, including probably with the top management, I'm talking about myself, will be American because clearly I, I have a good experience in Europe. I was marketing uh, products in Europe. I never did it in the US. So I don't pretend uh, at my time, my age, also I feel uh, 
a young swimmer to be the, the, the number one guy launching the driving US. But that is not a problem. I know a lot of good professional in US that would be very excited to transform the company. And uh, we have exchanged a lot of ideas, how to do it, uh, how to uh, put together a pipeline of products either by acquisition license or even merger with other small companies to create uh, around uh, Nikox, uh, which should have the most important products. I think 417, 4251, even with the most prudent uh, sales estimate should be really a big uh, a catalyst to attract uh, other small companies or other products uh, to create a new specialty pharma company in US. And, and and I would assume that you have a timeline in mind for this as your uh, clinical trials are, are beginning. So is there any, do you have any ability to discuss that timeline or is that information you'd rather not distribute? I would not distribute, but you know, well, I'm talking to professional. They know that the phase three will take, uh, especially for 470, is time. I think that uh, to think that in a couple of years, we'll be very close to an NDA submission for 470 uh, is intuitive. I'm not disclosing anything uh, right. confidential. So, and I know that when you start preparing a, a, an NDA submission, you must have started your pre-marketing, your pre-commercial activities. So these are indicative uh, uh, guidelines, but are very intuitive uh, considering the state of the 470. So if you could look into the into the future, um, however many years you want to go forward, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, how do you how do you view Nikox? What do you think the company looks like? I think if somebody asked you to describe the company today, um, you would have a description that you, you could give as to, you know, the summary of what Nikox is. How does that differ from the way you think Nikox will be described, you know, you know, down the road? Oh, without being a dreamer, because sportive are not dreamer, very, usually they're very, very concrete. And uh, I was not a dreamer when I was thinking to, to succeed in getting uh, an idea uh, of our company, of my company approved by FDA. And I did it. And I think I was uh, one of the few, probably the first French company having a new chemical entity approved by FDA among the R&D biotech company. I'm not talking about Sanofi or the big pharma. Of course, I'm thinking that Nikot, unless, you know, someone is coming and, uh, and uh, taking us over, which can always happen, uh, in, uh, in a public company, as I said, could be the catalyst uh, to agglomerate around our pipeline uh, a new specialty pharma company and, uh, and growing. But to do this, we have to be in the States. Our commercial head and, uh, and future CEO has to be in the States and we have to be more, more present in this market. Uh, we have a large collaboration in Far East with Documentation which is a great uh, uh, Chinese specialty pharma company focused in ophthalmology. We have licensed entirely our pipeline uh, in this region to Occumation. They are listed on the Hong Kong stock market. And I have to say that they license it as well, a compound from another important ophthalm company in a public company in the US. And their market cap is 10 times an hours, just to show that uh, uh, probably the value of Nikox has not been recognized yet, but I'm patient, I'm resilient. So I do hope the Nikox may be merging or acquiring product, changing the name, changing the management will survive as a kind of catalyst for a new, a new after company. Yeah, I think that, and, and, and again, this is coming from the, the clinical side of my, 
of my world that there is this general sort of perception or sort of fear of dread that um, a lot of the specialty ophthalmology companies in the U.S. have had either changes in ownership or changes in focus that have left a lot of uh, early companies feeling as though the strategic marketplace has become very thin, where where many larger uh, previous ophthalmic partners um, are are not as focused on the future of ophthalmology as they as they used to be, and you know we have uh, you know welcomed new specialty pharmaceutical companies um, with open arms and hearing that you have plans to pursue that pathway in the U.S. I think is a very welcome statement for um, um, entrepreneurs, uh, people with early stage assets who I'm sure would love to talk to you. Um, about you know potential partnerships as as you as you grow, and it's it's a reversal of a trend that I I hope will continue where we see more and more entities looking to become uh, larger players in the ophthalmology market in the United States. So it's great to hear that, and and I think that your your strategy of partnering with um, someone in in China is obviously critical, as we know that the growth of op- ophthalmic disease in China is probably going to drive most of the um, um, growth um, outside of the U.S. Um, going forward. So these are things that I, that, that I believe um, make, make a lot of sense. So yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I agree with what you said. I heard uh, from, from several people that they, they wish to have new new player in ophthalmology actually, especially in the States, but in the world, in the Western world, because many companies were either disappeared or changed their, their focus. And um, that's, that's exactly what I want to do with Adventure coming from Europe and uh, uh, knowing that uh, the, 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 the opportunities in the States mainly, uh, and second is Europe, but first, uh, the first market of, uh, of focus of Nikos will be US definitely. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to see how it's changed over the years, and um, you know, as as a as a uh, somebody who's actively involved in, in running a venture capital fund, we've come across some really fantastic companies with incredible assets, and our process in terms of figuring out where to invest also involves uh, an assessment of where the exit would be and and what the strategic partnership potential looks like, and it's become more challenging become more challenging as, 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 as companies, I think, are trying to figure out, you know, where, where their place is. Um, some of the larger acquisitions, uh, even Bausch and Loam and Alcon and Allergan's um, sort of roll-ups and roll-outs. And it's, 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 it's difficult to, I think, identify, you know, where some of these high-quality early assets will end up. And, we think companies like Nikox, you know, companies like Ivance and with Santin and companies like Aerie who are, you know, you know, growing in the space will be critical to the development of, of ophthalmic innovation in, in the United States. So thank you for, Great. you know, ha- having that dream and for pursuing it for, for Nikox. Um, um, I, I, I keep going back to the, to the thought of you swimming competitively for the Italian mm-hmm. national team. And I swimming to me, um, 
is incredibly intense physical <laughs> physical activity. And it, Absolutely. It, and I and I and I sort of envision you know sort of the the path of Nikok so far as as a I guess a swimming race that's um, you know just made the turn right. You got you got you got another half a lap to go here. Um, but um, I, I think that the the products that you're you're developing now and and your outlook are are, are great and, and sort of encouraging for 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 United States ophthalmologists and, and I'm sure ophthalmologists around the world. Anything you want to share with us before we wrap up? I, I, I you know it's a fascinating fascinating development to hear about a company that you started and have grown to this stage. Um, anything you want to share with us before we before we sign? No, up? just say I just want to say that I miss uh, miss US physically as well because I was used to camp ten times a year in the last twenty years probably, and I was taking the family for vacation. And so I had my kids and my wife saying, "I will want to go back to the states." Of course, I was coming for work. They were enjoying the US, so they and uh, I'm I'm missing as an European uh, being a, a more a US character, always uh, optimistic looking for challenge and so on. I miss the, the US environment, uh, which is very different from the European one. And I think uh, that uh, we all learn a lot, uh, at least in the biotech se sector from, from US. And so I don't want to stay away too long. Well, I think the most of us in the US are thinking the exact opposite. That we would very much like to get to Italy right now, oh, well, almost, <laughs> almost anywhere else. So anytime you want to flip flop, just just let me know. I, I can't yeah, wait to get, I can't wait to get back to Italy. I, it's been five Surf years since food, I've been there. Uh, art, uh, tourism, and vacation, and sea, <laughs> and uh, well, it's a wonderful country. I have to well, say, but for my business, uh, US is the number one still. So. Well, I think that I think that we both agreed, and I think we discussed this briefly. That um, I, I I hope. And I think that at the American Academy of Ophthalmology meeting this year, we're going to be at a place where most people will be coming in. I think travel restrictions will be, will be easier. I think people are planning on being there. Um, I sort of feel like that's going to be the first real post-COVID breakout where we, we all are able to get together in a meaningful Absolutely. way face-to-face. -face. And um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking, for, looking forward to seeing, um, you know, continued development and um, press releases from NICOX on its development. So um, just want to thank Michele Garufi again for taking the time to speak to us today. Um, it was a pleasure and a privilege, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person, hopefully in New Orleans this year. Very for soon. sure. We'll not miss it. Thank you, Rob, and thank you, OAS. Okay, thanks again, OIS audience. Uh, again, looking forward to future uh, podcasts with you. Thank you for listening. Michele's story shows how resilience can lead to success. For more tips about successful innovation, register for the upcoming OIS Israel Innovation Showcase taking place on June 10th. And come back next week for another episode of the OIS Podcast.